1: The Finding Holy Podcast is where Ashley Hales sits down with authors, pastors, activists, and artists to help you connect the dots between the things that really matter and your everyday holy life. And you'll get to hear everyone's laundry routines. To listen to the Finding Holy Podcast, go to aahales.com slash podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: This is Troy and Joel,
3: and you are listening to Revive Thoughts. Fear secretly gnaws and eats away at all the ties that bind a person to God and to others.
4: Every episode, we bring you a different voice from history in a sermon that they delivered today. We are hearing a sermon from Dietrich Bonhoeffer entitled, Overcoming Fear. He preached it in Berlin in 1933, right as Hitler was becoming Chancellor.
2: Most of us are afraid of many things, even though we'd like to say we'd follow God if it costs us our lives, most of us will never know what that's really like. But Bonhoeffer does know and did know what it was actually like. And he put his life on the line time and time again until he ended up paying the ultimate sacrifice of losing his life. And he tells us how to live with that kind of courage and how to overcome fear in the
4: sermon. He was born in 1906 and spends the majority of his ministry in Berlin, Germany. He will die a prisoner of the Nazis less than a month before the end of World War II in Europe.
2: Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he has a courage in the face of things that would scare most of us, but he starts out the same as pretty much any, uh, you know, priest in that era. He goes on to be ordained at 25, and he will go on to serve in a church in Berlin, and I, I'm going to assume and guess that he thought his life would be just like any other priest and any other anyone else serving God. He was excited. He had studied. He lived a little bit abroad, and he couldn't wait to get into ministry. But... Berlin isn't the same as any other place. This is right as the Nazis are taking over Germany. This is the middle of the Great Depression. This is, you know, we're just a few years out from the outbreak of World War II. The world is starting to get prep for something, and Germany's right at the heart of what that is. And Germany is, I mean, it's sad, but it's gearing up to, to commit some of the worst atrocities mankind would ever talk about. And the people he is going to be ministering to are the survivors of World War 1 one of the worst things that had ever happened to humans prior to this moment and so he's going into ministry at a really pivotal moment and he becomes famous for resisting Nazis for saying what they are doing is wrong. Very early on in his career, he stands up and says, we need to treat the Jewish people like we would treat anyone else. He would also go on to oppose uh, Nazis in a lot of other ways, including standing up to, you know, Hitler in Berlin, right at the heart of where they're going to be. And this would end up costing him everything.
4: Yeah, two days after Hitler becomes elected. Bonhoeffer was given this speech on his radio program, is essentially calling out Nazis and calling out Hitler and trying to call to the people to not focus on putting men up on the on a pedestal, not idolizing people, not idolizing men. And his speech actually gets cut off. The transmission actually gets cut off. Uh, and his radio show gets taken away from him. The seminary he ran gets closed, his teaching license gets revoked, and his his whole ministry kinda gets pushed underground. The Nazis really uh, retaliated quite harshly towards his outspoken attitude that he had towards them.
2: So at this point, I, this is where I would quit. I mean, I think a lot of people, if they were going through this, would jump off here. Uh, I, but he doesn't do that. He goes to East Germany and starts teaching the gospel to anyone who he, here. He forms a small community where they run a school, they run a church. And this community is what he uses as the basis for his future book, Cost of Discipleship. And that book ends up becoming one of the biggest... Books in Christian circles in the 20th century. It becomes famous because of what he saw in this time while he was in hiding, basically from Hitler and the Nazis. He leaves Germany twice, and he comes back twice. In
4: 1935, he he goes to London to help Germans that were fleeing Germany because because of of the war, because of uh, what the direction Germany was going. He sneaks back in in 1937, and will end up leaving again in 19. 19- thirty nine and when he leaves in nineteen thirty nine is it's because he's told he has to give an oath to Hitler and, and he refuses to do so and so he runs. He he escapes from Germany and then he he's convicted. He's convicted to help the church there in Germany. So in nineteen forty one he'll come back to Germany and it's that that time in nineteen forty one where he sneaks back into Germany where he, he has to understand, he knows what's at stake here because again he's he's refused to give an oath to Hitler. So he's, he's an enemy of the country there. Uh, he knows if he gets caught, he'll, he'll be executed.
2: When he leaves after rejecting the oath to Hitler, there's only one thing left for someone who comes back. He knows that his life is on the line, but the whole theme that he has of his life is he's going to overcome fear, even the fear of death. So he knows going back, if the war doesn't end, if Hitler isn't stopped, he is going to die, and yet he continues going anyway. Now, we haven't gotten to one of the big controversies, though, and that is actually what leads to his death. He specifically uh, was a pacifist up until this point in his life, and when he goes back, he ends up with a group of people who are trying to assassinate Hitler and he and to end the war, hopefully bringing about peace, and he goes along with them, tries to help them in the assassination plot. It goes poorly. He ends up captured, and uh, that's how he ends up in their heading to his death in his final days and there are a lot of christians who have pointed this out as a big mistake you know hey he shouldn't have he should have stuck with his pacifistic principles he shouldn't rebel against authority you know bonhoeffer should have never tried to kill hitler and we understand where they're coming from but we do think that you know maybe a little perspective too on this issue that he was living through literally destruction of his country destruction of the world there was no sign in 1941 that hitler and the nazis were going to lose and the idea was just if we could just get rid of one man the country could return to sanity again and all these horrible things could be stopped and so i do think bonhoeffer was doing the best he could maybe he made the wrong decision but i think we could show him some grace in that area he he was clearly a man that really tried hard
4: (laughs) Yeah, he, he struggled with this as, as a person. This wasn't black and white for him. It, he, he notably struggled with how to deal with evil in Germany and what his role is as a Christian in, in possibly stopping it. Um, but it's this assassination plot that would eventually lead to him getting captured and executed ultimately. Again, less than a month before Americans would come and liberate Germany. When it came time for his execution... Uh, There was a doctor there that we have the records of. We have his writings. uh, and, And there's a quote in his writings where he says that, I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer kneeling on the floor, praying fervently to God. I was most deeply moved by the way that this lovable man prayed, so devout and so certain that God heard his prayer. At the place of his execution, he again said a short prayer and then climbed a few steps to the gallows, braved and composed. His death would ensue a few seconds later. In the almost 50 years that I've worked here as a doctor, I've hardly ever seen a
2: man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. And it's this man who goes to be executed with such composure who is telling us how to overcome fear. He, he preaches a sermon in 1933. This is actually the same week. I mean, this is the Sunday. His congregants come to church after a huge, pretty terrible event happens. Uh, this is a, basically a March... Of Nazis goes through the streets of Berlin. I mean, there's tons of them, thousands of them. They are waving torches and they're saying, hey, we want Hitler to be the new chancellor of Germany. They uh, they are going through the streets marching. This group of communists comes out and they're saying basically, No, you fascists, we don't we don't want Hitler to be the Chancellor. And this huge brawl breaks out. Blood, people get beaten, people are having this huge fight on the streets of Berlin. And of course there are tons of people not involved in that fight and they're looking on and they're going, Oh my goodness, what is happening to my country? And they're seeing all this happen. And then Sunday comes around, and Bonhoeffer gets up there, and he he doesn't do what I think so many pastors and so many of us would do, which he he would just look at that and go, "The world is going crazy. Things have never been so bad. Can you believe what's happening on our streets?" But he does like the most opposite thing you can think of in this situation, which he gets up there and he says, "Do not be afraid. Stand firm for Christ. Do not fear any coming persecution." they know who the Nazis are at this point. They have a general idea of what they're about. They have to know that things aren't going to go good for them. They have to know that there might be Nazis in the congregation listening, checking in, noting who's going to be on their side and who's not. And again, Bonhoeffer was outspoken about his treatment of Jews. Yet, despite all that, Bonhoeffer gets up there and just makes it clear, don't be afraid of what's going on around you.
4: And it wasn't wasn't just Berlin either. I mean, the whole world was falling apart if you picked up a newspaper that week and just read the headlines within two weeks of that sermon being preached you see a, a civil war breakout in spain japan officially started invading port cities in china kicking off the pacific side of world war ii and romania and greece both of their prime ministers resigned back to back it's it's just a scary time in the world in general
2: yeah the gears that are leading to world war ii are are in full motion at this point there's going to be fear abroad And there's fear at home. And to everyone in the church in the pews that day, it just, it really must have felt like the world was falling apart, literally coming down around them. Um, Could they trust the person sitting next to them? Could they even believe and again these are people who have seen world war one they know how bad it can get and they look around them they see the motions of war they see the nazis marching in the street they see all these things coming forward in this moment and their pastor gets up he gets behind the pulpit in the middle of the great depression in the middle of this time of poverty and hardship and he just gets up and he goes don't be afraid turn to god we're gonna be okay
3: The Bible, the gospel, Christ, the church, the faith, all are one great battle cry against fear in the lives of human beings. Fear is somehow or another the arch enemy itself. It crouches in people's hearts. It hollows out their insides until their resistance and strength are spent and they are suddenly broken down. Fear secretly gnaws and eats away at all the ties that bind a person to God and to others. And when in a time of need that person reaches for those ties and clings to them, they break and the individual sinks back into himself or herself, helpless and despairing while hell itself rejoices. Now fear leers that person in the face saying, here we are all by ourselves, you and I, now I'm showing you my true face. And anyone who has seen naked fear revealed, who has been its victim in terrifying loneliness, fear of an important decision, fear of a heavy stroke of fate, losing one's job, an illness, fear of a vice that one can no longer resist, to which one is enslaved, fear of disgrace, fear of another person, fear of dying, that person knows that fear is only one of the faces of evil itself one form by which the world at enmity with God grasps for someone. Nothing can make a human being so conscious of the reality of the powers opposed to God in our lives as this loneliness, this helplessness, this fog spreading over everything, this sense that there's no way out, and this raving impulse to get oneself out of this hell of hopelessness. Have you ever seen someone in the grip of fear? It's dreadful in a child, but even more dreadful in an adult. The staring eyes, the shriveling like an animal, the pleading attempt to defend oneself. Fear takes away a person's humanity. And this is not what the creature of God looks like. This person belongs to the devil. This enslaved, broken down, sick creature. But The human being doesn't have to be afraid. We should not be afraid. This is what makes human beings different from all other creatures. In the midst of every situation, when there's no way out, where nothing is clear, where it's our fault, we know that there is hope. And this hope is called thy will be done. Yes, your will is being done. This world, it must fall. God stands above all. His thoughts unswayed, his words unstayed, his will forever our ground and our hope. Do you ask, how do you know? Then just name the name of the one who makes the evil inside us recoil, who makes fear and anxiety themselves tremble with fear and puts them into flight. We name the one who overcame fear and led it captive in the victory procession who nailed it to the cross committed it to oblivion we name the one who is the shout of victory over humankind redeemed from the fear of death jesus christ The crucified and living one, he alone is Lord over fear. It knows him as master. It gives way to him alone. So look to Christ when you're afraid. Think of Christ. Keep him before your eyes. Call upon Christ and pray to him. Believe that he is with you, now helping you. Then fear will grow pale, fade away, and you will be free through your faith in our strong and living Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's say there's a ship on the high sea having a fierce struggle with the waves. The the storm wind is, is blowing harder by the minute. And the boat is small and tossed about like a toy. And the sky is dark and the sailor, the sailor's strength is failing. Then one of the sailors is gripped by whom, what, he cannot even tell himself. But there's someone in the boat who wasn't there before. Someone comes close to him and lays cold hands on his arms as he pulls wildly on his oar. And he feels his muscle freeze, feels the strength go out of him. Then the unknown one reaches into his heart and his mind and magically brings forth the strangest pictures. He sees his family, his children crying. What will become of them if he is no more? Then he sees a time back when he was once in his evil ways. In long years of bondage, he sees the faces of his companions in that bondage. And he sees a neighbor whom he wounded only yesterday with an angry word. And suddenly he can no longer see or hear anything. He can no longer row. A wave overwhelms him. And in final desperation, he shrieks, stranger in this boat, who are you? And the other, One answers, I am fear. Now the cry goes up from the whole crew. Fear is in the boat. All arms are frozen and drop their oars. All hope is lost. Fear is in the boat. Then, as if the heavens opened, as if the heavenly hosts themselves raised a shout of victory in the midst of hopelessness. Christ is in the boat. Christ is in the boat. And no sooner has a call gone out and been heard than fear shrinks back and the waves subside and the sea becomes calm and the boat rests on its quiet surface. Christ was in the boat. We were um, along that voyage, weren't we? And the call that Christ is in the boat was our salvation too. And now, strangely enough, all of us are at sea again. On that voyage without faith, without hope, overwhelmed, in chains, and bondage, paralyzed by fear, we have lost heart, we've lost the joy of living, our limbs are heavy as lead, each of us knows what it's like. Uh, perhaps, or most likely, we don't even quite realize what's happened to us. We're We're already so used to this state of affairs that it seems natural to us, and we almost like it that way all this misery around us and in our own lives what would we do if we couldn't complain anymore and that's the worst of it we don't even want to find a way out it's the final triumph of fear over us that we are afraid to run away from it and just let it enslave us fear has conquered us can be found among us in various forms. Some persons have become dull and insensitive and just live from one day to the next, brooding gloomily and doggedly along, but too apathetic to take their own lives. Others are noisy about their fear, pouring it out onto everyone else in the form of crying and complaining. And still others, on the other hand, think that they can drive out fear with their fine words and their bold fantasies. And if they shout these words loudly enough, it may seem to take care of the things for a while. But those those who know can recognize such empty words. The horrifying power of fear all over again. Fear is in the boat. In Germany and in our lives and in the nave of this church. Naked fear of an hour from now, of tomorrow or the day after. That's why we've become apathetic. Why we complain. Why we intoxicate ourselves with this and that. What else is the razzle-dazzle and drunkenness of New Year's Eve other than our great fear of a new era, of the future? Fear is breathing down our necks. And those who try to keep up their pride as if all this had nothing to do with them, as if they didn't understand what this is all about, would hardly be human. No one human could fail to understand what the people of the world have to be afraid of today. But look here, right in the middle of this fearful world is a place that is meant for all time, which has a peculiar task that the world doesn't understand. It keeps calling over and over, but always anew in the same tone, the same thing. Fear is overcome. Do not be afraid. In the world, you are frightened, but be comforted. I have conquered the world. Christ is in the boat and in this place where this kind of talk is heard and should be heard. The pulpit of the church. From this pulpit, the living Christ himself wants to speak so that wherever he reaches somebody, that person will feel the fear shrinking away, will feel Christ overcoming his or her fear. You have little faith. Why are you so fearful? In these words, we must hear all the disappointment of Jesus Christ and his disciples and all of his love for them. Do you still know that you are in God's hands that where I am, God is, where you are so fearful. Be of good courage, strong, firm, adult, sure, confident, not shaking with fear. Don't hang your heads. Don't complain about what bad times these are. I am in the boat, and Christ is here too, in the nave of this church. So why not hear him and believe him? We have come here. Very probably because somehow or another, we know that something in our lives needs to change. And because we think perhaps the church can somehow help us with this. We are aware of how meager, how poor, how petty and short-sighted our lives have become. All of us see only our own worries and difficulties and no longer those of others that may be a thousand times worse. Our affairs seem so enormous and infinitely important to us that we have become dulled towards anything else. This is the work of fear in us. And now we sense that we cannot bear to be hemmed in like this anymore. It's suffocating. The call of the church, though, cuts through this questioning and foreboding. There's one thing we are lacking, to believe that God Almighty is our Father and our Lord. To believe that for God, our greatest cares are like the worries of small children in their parents' eyes. That God can turn things around and dispose of them in no time at all. For God, it's easy. It's not hard at all. We must believe that a thousand years in God's sight is like a day and that God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. That with God, he is with us. And in spite of everything, let us receive the call of the church once again. You of little faith, why are you so fearful? In the midst of the storm, Christ is in the ship. Away with you fear. Let us see you, Lord Jesus, strong helper and savior. But now comes the host of objections and excuses. We say we should like to believe, but we simply can't anymore. The suffering is too great. But let's not take this kind of talk too seriously. You cannot believe. Well, neither can we. Do you not want to believe? In that case, you already do in a way because not very strongly, only a beginning, but perhaps a thousand times stronger than many others who think they are able to believe. Don't worry about your faith, whether it is weak or strong. Just look to him whom you believe and speak to him. Lord, increase our faith. We say that like it's not life's misery that frightens us, but rather our own sin that we fear. And that we need to fear it so we won't be overcome by it. Again, that sounds right, but it it is really only a trick of fear itself. No, it is not true that we must be afraid of sin. Those who are afraid of it are already up to their necks in it. Fear is evil's net. Spread to catch us. Once evil has made us afraid, confused us, we are in its clutches. Do not be afraid. Be of good courage. How can you meet the enemy with fear in your heart? You of little faith, why are you so fearful? Isn't God greater than your sin? Let God grow strong in you. Then sin is knocked down. Believe in God. Lord, strengthen our faith. Now, finally, let the most depressed and despairing people speak. Those who ask, isn't our time up? Aren't the years of catastrophe, of utter decline and breakdown, the chaos of our lives in both great and small things, which no one can ignore, the sign that God has let us go, that God doesn't want us anymore, that there's no more mercy coming our way from God, that God is against us, that we have to accept it, but it won't do good, keep clinging to it if if we aren't wanted. This is the cry out of the very depths of despair. There's only one thing that helps, and it is what the church does with any of us who thinks and feels this way. It takes the cross and places it before our eyes and asks, Did God abandon him? Did God abandon him? Well, since God did not abandon Jesus, we will not be abandoned by God either. Learn to recognize this sign in your own life. Learn to recognize and understand the hour of the storm when you were perishing. This is the time when God is incredibly close to you, not far away. Right there, when everything else that keeps us safe is breaking and falling down. When one after another, all the things of our lives that we depend on are being taken away or destroyed. Where we have to learn to give them up. All this is happening because God is coming Near to us because God wants to be our only support and certainty. God lets our lives be broken and fail in every direction through fate and our guilt, and through this very failure, God brings us back. We are thrown back upon God alone. God wants to show us that when you let everything go, when you lose all your own security and have to give it up, that is when you are totally free to receive God and be kept totally safe in God. So may we understand rightly the hours of affliction and temptation, the hours in our lives when we are on the high seas. God is close to us then, not far away. Our God is on the cross. And when the disciples were climbing on the boat, they seemed quite confident. They seemed not afraid at all. Why were they confident? They looked around in the lovely calm sea and saw no reason to worry. But as the wind and the waves increased in force, the disciples lost their calm and fear grew in them. And they gazed apprehensively at the wild sea. Its appearance had made them feel safe, but now fear was gaining the upper hand. The story says that Jesus was asleep. Only faith can sleep without care. That is why sleep is a para- a reminder of paradise. It, it, faith finds itself safely in God alone. The disciples couldn't sleep. Their security was gone. Their confidence had been misplaced and now it was lost. It was a false sense of security. It was only fear in disguise The sense of security that does not overcome fear and soon breaks down. Only the faith that leaves behind all false confidence, letting it fall and break down can overcome fear. This is faith does not rely on itself or on favorable seas, favorable conditions. It does not rely on its own strength or on its own people's strength, but believes only and alone in God, whether or not there is a storm. It is the only thing, faith that is not superstition and that does not let us slip back into fear, but makes us free of fear. Lord, make this faith strong in us who have little faith. But the other side of the coin is also true. When Christ is in the boat, a storm always comes up. The world tries with all of its evil powers to get a hold of him, to destroy him along with his disciples. It hates him and it rises up against him. Christians, you surely know this. No one has to go through so much anxiety and fear as do Christians. But this does not surprise us, since Christ is the crucified one, and there's no way to life for a Christian without being crucified. So we will suffer and make our way through together with Christ, looking always to him who is with us in the boat and can soon stand up and rebuke the sea so that it will become calm. However, it does seem to be true what you have surely all been quietly wanting to say for some time. That today, Christ is no longer doing such amazing things. That he's so strangely hidden away that we often think that he is no longer there at all. Dear brothers and sisters, what do we know about what Christ can do and wants to do for us? This very evening, if we will only call upon him as we should. If we call out, Lord, save us, we are perishing. That was fear, all right, but it was faith in the midst of fear because it knew where help comes from, the only place. We say that there's no miracles anymore but what do we know really, you and I? We will certainly be ashamed of ourselves if one day we are allowed to see what God can do. They were amazed, saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? We can well understand their amazement. What sort of person is this on whom fear has no effect? Who overcomes the fear in human life and takes away its power? By asking this question, we are already on our knees before him, praying to him, pointing to him, the wonder worker, and saying, This is God.
2: So for me, the part, one of the parts of the sermon that just, I I have literally put this into my life since I first read it and I taught it to my students at my school as a teacher. It's just something that has stuck with me so hard. It's just, he he says at one point, he says, he takes the cross, he places it before our eyes and he asks, did God abandon him? And since God doesn't abandon Jesus, we will not be abandoned by God either. It just, this idea of just putting the cross in your mind. You're having this rough time. You're going through some stuff, whatever is going on, and just kind of closing your eyes and not in some iconoclastic way or some kind of, you know, reverential way, but just reminding yourself of the cross, reminding yourself what happened to Jesus. God loved Jesus and what he did for him and what, what his death d- does for us, I mean, and just putting that in my mind and going, yeah, no, that that's actually still true. And no matter what I'm going through, and no matter how hard things are, I don't have to be afraid because of what happened on the cross. At one point, Von Offer says
4: that fear is one of the faces of evil. And I feel like that, I don't know that's something that I found interesting. It did help me understand how Satan uses fear to hold us back
2: in ways that we often don't really realize, don't don't really see. Fear, one thing that I, I didn't really realize until this sermon too, is that he looks at fear as actually, it's a sin. Like usually I think of fear as like a reaction or like an instinct just, oh, there's a snake, I'm afraid. And like Bonhoeffer says, no, no, You fear is actually a sin. When you choose fear over faith in God, you are choosing something sinful. And he uses the example of the of the apostles in the boat. When that fear overcomes you, you need to run to jesus who's in the boat with you and just you know get him back in your life yeah yeah
4: he's always pointing it back to christ which which i really appreciate there's a point where like he's he lists he's going through a list of things that we do to try to combat fear and he lists bold fantasies as one of those things and i can definitely relate with that like whenever something is 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 going wrong whenever I'm fearful of something. You can't help but kind of imagine the ideal way in which those fears would be relieved. But Bonhoeffer calls these empty words, and I, I, I really appreciate just his his focus on Christ being the source of our power and not on our own attempts to combat fear. It's it's, it's Christ that gives us that power. Today's sermon was narrated by Dustin Garrett. If you enjoyed this episode, check out our website, ReviveThoughts.com. There you can find a transcript to this episode.
2: It's also helpful if you subscribe so you can catch future episodes. And any kind of ratings you can leave us on iTunes or wherever you listen to this episode. Really helps us in the algorithms, helps us to get the word out about Revive Thoughts better. This is Troy and Joel, and this is Revive Thoughts.
1: I hope you enjoyed that podcast, and if you did, I'd like to also invite you over to the Finding Holy Podcast, where Ashley Hales sits down with authors, pastors, activists, and artists to help you connect the dots between things that really matter in issues of faith and your everyday holy life. You'll even get to hear about the laundry routines. Go to aahales.com podcast or listen to the Finding Holy Podcast wherever you choose to listen to your shows.